Welcome to the Policy in Plainer English podcast. I'm Helen Laban, and today we're looking at Attributed Lives, which seems like it should be the title of a literary memoir, but no, it's a short explainer of a key concept in payment reform. If you haven't listened to the previous episodes in this series, I recommend going there first. Here's the abridged version. Vermont has an all-payer model that we are using to transition away from fee-for-service payments towards value-based payments, eventually to something called a global budget system. A very big deal during this transition is how we manage risk. And there's all sorts of risk. Financial risk, performance risk, insurance risk, risk everywhere we look. Alongside this risk is a very real lack of magic wands. We can't simply spirit everyone in Vermont into a fully formed value-based global budget system. There are phases of the payment model, which we've been discussing, and also there's the question of which individuals are covered by the new model, individuals who are known as attributed lives. The phrase that will be explained today by our guest expert. Hi, I'm Alicia Cooper. I'm the Director of Payment Reform, Reimbursement, and Rate Setting for the Department of Vermont Health Access. I have had the pleasure of working in Medicaid's Accountable Care Organization programs uh, since we began our shared savings programs in 2014. And throughout all of our ACO-based reform, we have had different kinds of attribution methodologies as parts of our program. As you might have caught from her introduction, Alicia is a pro at explaining attribution models, so we'll let her dive right in. Attributed lives are, in the context of payment reform, any Vermonter that is associated with a provider that's participating in a payment reform model. In ACO-based reform, the way that we think about attribution is typically an individual's relationship with a primary care provider and the individual having a particular payer. And so, for example, in the Medicaid Next Generation ACO program to date, we have defined uh, Medicaid members who are eligible for attribution to an ACO as those who have a historic primary care relationship with a provider that has chosen to participate in an ACO and an individual for whom Medicaid is the primary source of insurance coverage. In order to define a historic primary care relationship, uh, we'll typically look at a defined historic period of time to identify using someone's payer claims data whether they have had any visits with a primary care provider. Primary care providers are typically defined based on a sort of a provider specialty and how they have enrolled with Medicaid or with other payer programs. And a lot of the work to define what a primary care provider is and what a primary care service is aligns with how other payers have defined primary care and with how um, some of the work that the Green Mountain Care Board has done in recent years to define primary care has come together. Okay, I have to jump in here to say that you better believe we'll have episodes on defining primary care in the future. There are entire task forces dedicated to this issue. For right now, accept primary care as a fixed definition, and the question then becomes one of timing. You've probably realized that not everyone in Vermont sees a primary care provider on a super regular basis, so we have what's called a look-back period. If someone has seen a primary care provider who is participating in the ACO during a certain historic period of time, right now that's 2.5 years, they become an attributed life. But wait, you might say, what about people who fall outside of that historic measure? There are all sorts of reasons why this might happen. 
Older patients often see more specialists, or someone might have been really healthy and just sort of forgot about getting a checkup. Nothing is written in stone about attribution, and we have pilot programs looking at different methodologies. For the 2019 performance year, one of the features that we tried to pilot with the St. Johnsbury area was a more geographic approach to attribution. And one of the goals there was to understand what it might look like if we sort of separated attribution from just the historic relationship with a primary care provider. We did this for a number of reasons, and one of the big reasons was that we were hearing from the community that they were interested in taking full account for the population that lives in their area. And if we are using the traditional attribution methodology, we know we're going to be missing uh, some proportion of the population. So one of the things that we've been able to do through this pilot this year is understand what attribution might look like if we, for instance, are able to attribute individuals that have had Medicaid coverage for a while and aren't necessarily seeing a primary care provider, but are seeing a specialist provider on a regular basis. Or maybe they're seeing a community provider on a regular basis in lieu of primary care. Um, We've also been able to identify folks that just don't have a lot of utilization for whatever reason, and we've been able to work with the community to think about ways to, for those folks, connect them to primary care, and then hopefully through that primary care connection to any other services in the community that they might need. So we've been trying to look at this as a way to, um, one, allow for that population-level look at caring for a community when a group of providers that's participating in the ACO says that they want to be able to to look at their whole community and not just those who have had a historic primary care relationship. And two, to understand a little bit more about utilization patterns for these sections of the population that, according to our old definition of attribution, never would have been attributed to the ACO model. An important thing to remember at this juncture is that for the individual patient, the attribution model is not directly shaping treatment decisions. Yes, you should still visit your primary care provider at least every two years, but clinicians aren't stopping to look up your attribution in the exam room. Attribution does shape treatment indirectly, however, because the number of attributed lives is an important calculation for your healthcare provider as an organization and for the ACO as a network. Provider organizations would be interested in the number of attributed lives that they have for a particular payer program because uh, to the extent the payer program is offering uh, certain ways of doing things differently, including different types of payments for the attributed lives, uh, it's helpful for a provider to have as much of their population or panel included in that attribution as possible. Uh, An example might be uh, for the Medicaid ACO program, we have a waiver of prior authorization that is applied to attributed lives, but isn't necessarily available for any members who are not attributed to an ACO program. And so if you're a provider and part of your panel is attributed and part of your panel is not attributed, you might only be able to see some of those programmatic benefits for the attributed portion of your population. 
Another thing that's beneficial to providers can be different types of payment arrangements or payment incentives between the ACO and the provider that would only be available for the number of attributed lives that they have. And so again, having more of your patient panel as an attributed life, uh, you'll be able to access some of those alternative payment structures or access some of those additional sources of payment uh, in ways that you wouldn't if your panel isn't attributed. For an ACO, having um, an increased number of attributed lives is helpful, first of all, in the context of Vermont's all-payer model agreement. The all-payer model agreement with the federal government has certain scale targets that are included, which essentially says over a number of years, an increasing number of Vermonters have to be included in our all-payer ACO-based reform. And so as we have more attributed lives, we're getting closer over time to meeting some of those scale targets that are set forth in the agreement. It's also helpful for an ACO to have additional attributed lives because that means that they are able to then work with their provider network to do um, enhanced analytics around a broader population and to use sort of more comprehensive population health management strategies in order to best serve their attributed population. If they don't have as many attributed lives, it's harder to use those whole population-based strategies to affect care. In the global budgets conversation, you heard some of these same issues. To achieve the benefits we're looking for from value-based care, each provider needs a high percentage of their patients and their budget to be in the model. Also, the coordinating entity, or ACO, needs a certain size patient pool to operate at full speed. We've said it before, but it's still true that in Vermont, our entire population is equivalent to the patient base of a single city hospital. So reaching that threshold is always going to be a challenge, and that's reflected in the goals the federal government has set for attribution. A third thing to be aware of when looking at attribution is something that's implicit in what Alicia said about it being divided by payer type. Different broad groups of patients have different needs and different costs. For example, there's a group of patients that are dually eligible for Medicaid and Medicare. That group is attributed to Medicare. These patients tend to have more complex care needs and be more expensive. Now, not all providers participate in the ACO for all payers, and for various reasons, Medicare is the most difficult and therefore at least utilized among primary care providers. That means there are significant pockets of patients who will benefit a lot from the ACO model, and will also cost relatively more per patient. So you could expect to see some cost measures go up as those lives get attributed in the future. And this is one case where seeing an increase is a good thing because it means we've successfully incorporated dually eligible patients into the path towards value-based care. Attributed lives may not be the one denominator to rule them all, but then again, it might be. It underlies everything from budget to performance to meeting federal and state contracts to knowing how consistently we reach patients through primary care. And this is just one of the many exciting denominators we're exploring. Tune in soon for more healthcare data discussion right here on the Policy in Plainer English podcast.